we say to America is be true to what you said on paper. If I lived in China or even Russia or any totalitarian country, maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that over there. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right. So just as I say we aren't going to let any dogs or water hoses turn us around, we aren't going to let any injunction turn us around. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. A long life, longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know the night that we as a people will get to the promised land. AJC Radio here tonight as we take a look again as we continue our series on Colorado injustice and injustice around the globe, but definitely here in the United States. Tonight we start and take you on a journey of the IRP-5 from day one till conviction, wrongful conviction at that, and the conduct of Federal Judge Christine Arguello, Matthew Kirsch, and all those involved. You're going to hear about them tonight, but we start from ground zero. And we journey on. Tonight, the RP5 story unfolds. This is AJC Radio. We take off right now. There you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, Samson Riddle, William Williams, Clinton Stewart, Dennis Merritt, Tanique Wright, and the entire AJC Radio team. 
And we're excited tonight about this show because it is imperative that this message be, be definitely get out of all that has happened to the lives of these men and not to fail to mention the untimely death of the Wanabanks Clark as a result of the IRP5 story. We're going to get into all that. Dave Zappolo, give us your thoughts as we begin this journey from Ground Zero. Well, as everybody starts listening to this story, they're going to be thinking, this is insane. This couldn't happen in America. And I went through it, and I still think that. Because you real, you look at this, and it makes no sense that a group of people that were trying to help the country, to stop terrorism, to help with help the police, help the FBI, help Homeland Security, would end up in prison for just trying to help. Because that's really what it was. When you turn around and look at this, there was nothing there. There was no crime. There were bills that couldn't be paid. And we went to prison for eight years for that. Well, I'll tell you right now, if, if prison was the penalty for bills not being paid with startup companies, uh, which today have become successful uh, organizations and companies, then you probably have to shut half the nation down as far as business. Uh, that's something that doesn't work. It's not going to ever work that way. Um, and it's unfortunate. And I, the word that stands out to me, what Dave Zappolo just said, was help. That was the purpose, to keep the homeland safe from a devastating attack in another 9-11. We're going to take you from ground zero where the vision was seen. And the purpose was really meted out that something needed to happen to, to institute change in this nation. Uh, that's, the, that's the gist of it. There was nothing else. There was no other motive. There was no other situation uh, that was at play other than trying to help and really to embrace the entrepreneur spirit of America. And we ran into roadblock after roadblock, but here's the problem. The roadblocks were within it's our own system and really took the liberty of the RP5 and ultimately, as I said, complicit in the death of LaWanna Banks-Clark, which we're going to get into as this journey marches on. Um, Sepsi, your thoughts as we go forward? Well, I mean, just hearing this, you know, us recount this story again about how these men took it, you know, they did the the exemplary American thing to do. They went down there. They saw a tragedy happen to this nation. They, their patriotic and entrepreneur spirit, like you touched on, uh, immediately went into action. They did what they felt like they needed to do and had to do in order to, to keep the homeland safe. They went through. They developed software. They, they talked to agencies across the United States saying, hey, what do you need so we can help you help keep the populace safer so this never has to happen again. And so they, they went about this, and then basically through collusion between this, this federal judge, you know, the DA and, and numerous others, they honestly, they manifested this story that, of how these men were these, these devilish people that were just trying to squander money that they were being given hand over fist by, you know, whomever and not paying their employees, and it's simply none of it was true. None of it was true, but they wouldn't allow the evidence that would exonerate these men into the courtroom. And instead, they want to get them on, on some bogus charges of wire and, and mail fraud? Come on. Well, as you know, the terrorist groups that ultimately ended up developing, and we're going to get into that on the side of the break, uh, is ISIS. Uh, had this program created by these men been implemented, 
A lot of people wouldn't have died by the ISIS terrorist group. It wouldn't have happened. That's what people really need to understand. When a government in our system begins to criminalize individuals as they did the RP5, you are basically obstructing uh, uh, safety from the nation. That's what they did. Many people died by the hands of ISIS. Just what if this software was implemented across this country, how many lives would have been saved? How many body bags would have been emptied? That is something we have to look at. Tanik, your thoughts? Um, I'm glad we're telling the story because we hear on the news all the time about uh, start your own company, you know, be your own boss. And, you know, as a society, we kind of preach that, that that's what you should do. But people need to realize what happened to the IRP5 could happen to anyone. And so I'm glad that they're, you're telling the story so that people can actually see how deep the corruption goes. Well, on top of that, you're looking at a nation that um, obstructed the, the very thing that could save the lives of Americans. Had we had the software developed by the IRP-5 in place prior to 9-11, just think about it. Is it possible that tragedy could have been avoided? We're going to deal with it. Ladies and gentlemen, make sure and understand very clearly that the purpose of this show is to, is to expose injustice wherever we find it. We have found it. We take the story from ground zero. The RP5 story picks off the other side of this break. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Gotcha. <laughs> I surrender, I surrender. All right, pal. Get ready for the day, buddy. Hey, Dad. Hey, Dad. Do we have a gun? What's up? Do we have a gun? Why do you ask that, kiddo? Can I play with it? No. No, absolutely not. It's not a toy. You know that. Do I? I bet it looks like one. Yeah, well, it's not. Anyway, I need it to protect you, your sister and mom. From what? From bad guys, like on TV. But what about the eight kids who get shot every day by mistake? Their daddies probably thought they were safe, too. Where'd you hear that? TV. Yeah, well, maybe we don't believe everything we hear on TV. Where do you keep it? <laughs> it's hidden. I bet it's on top shelf of the closet, under your sweatshirts. Is it loaded? It's not. I, I keep the bullets... In the boots with the red laces, in the chest beside the bed. 
I haven't found them yet, but I'm sure I can. You always told me to be curious. Remember when I found my Christmas gift? I'm a good climber, you know. No. No, that's not what I meant. Look, I, I need to be ready if someone breaks in. What about when it's just me and Mom? You taught me to be brave. I could use a gun to protect her. No, Justin, I promise. I'll teach you how to handle a gun when you're old enough. And what if I don't make it to old enough? I could get bullied and decide it's too much for me. It would be so easy with our gun. Our gun? No, buddy. My gun. But it is our gun in our home. Happens all the time. I'll make sure that doesn't happen. I'm always here for you. But, Dad, you're not always here. There are no loose ends in TV procedural dramas. At the end of the hour, the bad guy always gets what's coming to him. Unfortunately, the real world is a lot more complicated. We know from the work of the Innocence Project and other organizations in the Innocence Network that the system doesn't always get it right. According to the National Registry of Exonerations, since 1989, nearly 2,000 people have been exonerated of crimes they didn't commit. What people don't realize is a good number of those people pleaded guilty to crimes even though they were innocent. In fact, in nearly 10% of the nation's DNA exonerations, people pleaded guilty to serious crimes and agreed to serve significant prison time because the system is stacked against them, especially if they are poor and people of color. That's right. The stakes are so high that we have innocent men and women agreeing to serve long prison sentences. A system that puts that much pressure on people to plead guilty is a problem. Visit guiltypleaproblem.org to learn more about the men and women who are pressured into pleading guilty to crimes they didn't commit. And join us in demanding that our elected officials do something to protect the innocent people who get caught up in a broken criminal justice system. Thank you. We have a big problem, and we need your help. It's happening on college campuses, at bars, at parties, even in high schools. It's happening to our sisters and our daughters. Our wives and our friends. It's called sexual assault, and it has to stop. We have to stop it. So listen up. If she doesn't consent, or if she can't consent, it's rape, it's assault. It's a crime. It's wrong. If I saw it happening, I was taught you have to do something about it. If I saw it happening, I speak up. If I saw it happening, I'd never blame her. I'd help her. Because I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. We need all of you to be part of the solution. This is about respect. It's about responsibility. It's up to all of us to put an end to sexual assault. And that starts with you. Because one is too many. to the chain. It was just a joke. We're not friends. Why are you talking to me? He started it. She's so gross. Lame. Loser. Weirdo. 
I've said and done things before that I'm not proud of. Just as I've been hurt by others. The thing is, this, this is not who I am. And it's definitely not who I want to be. I don't want to be cruel. I don't want to spread gossip. I don't want to be a body shamer. I don't want to exclude anyone. I don't want to make anyone feel lonely. Left out. Hurt. We have the power to be more. We can create a kinder world. It's not that hard. We just need to stop. Take a moment. And consider others before we speak. And before we act. Be more. Be more. Be more. Some people think that business is a game. And what we have learned is that business actually is war. My name is David Banks, and I'm serving an 11-year sentence at the Federal Correctional Complex Prison Camp in Florence, Colorado. I've lost everything. My business, my money, my family, my future, my church, and my freedom. When they wanted people to sign non-disclosure agreements and all that kind of stuff, sometimes they didn't want to do it. It's strange to me. I think it's still strange. It just absolutely makes no sense. Is this really real? Is this happening? And, and then all of a sudden your whole life is ripped apart. Justice is not fair anymore. They say justice is supposed to be blind. It's not blind. It's not blind. They pick and choose who they want to convict and who they want to send to jail. Ladies and gentlemen of America, what is going on when innocent men get locked away? Ladies and gentlemen, have you stopped to ask the question, where is justice? It's far away. They were floored that uh, they were even being raided. Um, uh, it became very clear that the court-appointed attorneys were not working for the guys. Um, and it seemed like in many cases that they were um, collaborating or working with the prosecution. We constantly hear in the news, every week you're going to hear about another person wrongfully convicted. There you have it. Tough questions in need for answers. Lady Justice has gone missing. Where is she? Is this happening in America? The American dream has turned into a nightmare. Crying children left behind as a result of a corrupt system and corruption. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers as justice lays idle in the streets of America. We look for the answer. As you know, that the clip that you just heard was made at the beginning of the horror, if you will, of these men's lives being turned upside down. Uh, we're going to hear more of those clips tonight as we go forward, but right now we will start the journey. What you heard on there was what these men initially suffered, what they, what they were facing. Uh, we're going to talk about it tonight. David, as you hear that clip, um, 
How does that make you feel as we begin this journey? Well, it's just a, it's a story that needs to be told and, and fully told uh, from front to back. Uh, and it's an indictment of the so-called criminal justice system. Um, it's just a tragedy that uh, people talk about the American dream. However, um, the American dream is something that's not afforded to everybody, uh, especially if you get too close to make, potentially to make more money. The competition, uh, large businesses work with the government on a regular basis, I believe, to destroy companies that might be a worthy competitor to them. Uh, and that could actually gain, whether it be a contract or some market share, uh, they're going to do anything they can to stop you. And it's not always, and they do a, a lot of illegal things goes on. As you listen to our story uh, of trying to help our country, uh, trying to help our law enforcement and live the American dream, uh, you'll find out that uh, it's just not afforded to everybody. Uh, it's even less afforded to African-Americans that may come up uh, uh, with, with things like that. If you can, you can, many times you can sneak in. If you can sneak in, you can, you can uh, get the American dream. Uh, if you try to be out front about it, uh, the powers that be will put a stop to you in, in a hurry uh, because greed, uh, Greed typically prevails, and they will do anything to, and what happened to us, to destroy your life, uh, to get you out of the way so you can't compete with them. Oh, absolutely right. Clinton, you also uh, suffering what you did at the hand uh, of this system. Uh, as we go down this road again, remembering, at least bringing to the attention of the American people, just how bad it was for you. Yeah, uh you know, a lot of what you look at with software engineering, small business and so forth, you have to be innovative. You have to think, ideas, and computerizing the criminal investigative process is what our business was about. And being innovative about that, looking to help, as Dave Zappolo uh, stated earlier, um, when you come with these ideas and then you get thwarted, by the powers that be and let you know that your ideas aren't appreciated. We're gonna prosecute you. And you're trying to help law enforcement. And it really is a devastating blow to see that you're trying to help, you're trying to help our country, trying to do really good things, and then to have that quashed by the authorities and, and, and by people in law enforcement uh, you see other com companies out there doing technology, but yours is not appreciated. And, and you can't help but wonder, why? Why not? You know? And so it, it really is disheartening in a, in, a, in, a, in a great way as you go through this process. Okay. Kendrick Barnes, your thoughts? What this, uh, what our, our ordeal really exposed to me is that there is no such thing as accountability in this country. It, it, it taught me the mess, the lesson and the message that certain people get into certain positions, judges, attorneys, 
uh, congressman, whatever. And it's it is not that they might be a help and a benefit to society and to the citizens. It's because they they want to have a, a access to power. And why I say that is because we went through our trial. We saw some very corrupt and illegal things happen. No accountability to the court or to the government. We went through prison. We saw very many illegal and corrupt things happen. No accountability. Even to this day, the judge from our case feels the need to opine to friends of ours in their case just because there's an association with us and our church. There's no accountability. So this story is still relevant today, and it should be a, a bygone past, never move on with their life, but there's still a vindictive judge with Christine Arguello who feels the need to make sure that as long as we're breathing, that uh, us, all the IRP4, our P5, uh, College Springs Fellowship Church, and any member that tries to be a benefit with the Pillar 4 now, that she's going to be a part of your life, and, and because she has the power and no accountability, she feels she can do what she wants. And I think that's why a story like this needs to be told, because America really needs to wake up to the fact that there are some real corrupt holes in this system that allow people to get away with near murder. And if we don't really stand up and say this is going to continue to go because someone's going to realize, you know what, once I get to this place of power as a judge, I can do what I want. You can't do anything about it. No, absolutely right. And uh, Demetrius, your thoughts? Um, as you're sitting here t uh, talking, I'm listening to you, Mont. Uh, one of the emotions I'm feeling is anger. Um, this, this uh, to all the guys' point, my brother's point, this, is, uh, it, this was a nightmare, and we walked it. We're, we lived it. We talk about it, even to this day. And uh, I'm just, sometimes you just think, it, did this happen? Did this yeah, it happened. All the corruption, all the, the, the missing transcripts. I didn't say this. I meant that all those emotions. The, 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 the one thing I feel is anger that we live in a country. We're trying to help with information sharing. We are all IT guys. This was an exciting time for us. And to have the government come in and try to steal it because you didn't want to play, uh, pay some black men. All we were doing, as we all say, doing business while black. Is that the reason? We, we'll flush that out. But all this, the emotion that I feel is, is one when one word, Mon, is, is anger. I'm glad we are talking about this. Uh, I believe it will help for me because once you talk about it, it might be a, a healing thing. So uh, we, this message needs to get out. Okay, so what I'd like to do is go down the road of when this first started. And, David, I'd like to get your thoughts. At, take myself and our listeners to Ground Zero in New York City. And I believe that's where this saga began. Well, <clears throat> yeah, first there's a little backstory, a little backstory before we get to 9-11. We'd already started developing assisting in the development of a case management solution, investigative case management solution for a single investigator that would run on a single desktop computer uh, to handle complex criminal investigations, collect all the information, do some analysis, and be able to uh, really be able to see the, get the trees out the way so you could actually see the entire forest. Um, throughout that process, uh, as we were going through this process, 9-11 uh, uh, had already happened, but uh, we saw a vision uh, after 9-11 uh, 
that we could really build something. There's really no tools out there for investigators. And my trip to New York really provided extra motivation to uh, for us to build something that could really help our law enforcement and, and, and also simultaneously help our country stay safe. I uh, remember uh, actually tearing up and as I stood from the ninth floor of the Millennium, uh, Millennium Hilton there in New York City, right near Church Street, and I had been to New York before. I had been to the Towers uh, when I lived in Philadelphia. But to stand there and see those two gaping holes, uh, it's just something that you really can't explain. And you, your mind immediately went to the chaos and the absolute terror that had to unfold on that day. And sitting there thinking uh, with my heart wrenched, we thought we, we could do something about this. And, and obviously there was a need. The need was bore out of the fact of information sharing and collaboration, partly cultural with law enforcement. They don't necessarily want to share information. Uh, and on top of that, they have, uh, they don't have the tools to effectively share information. So as a software engineer and a software consultant, uh, we felt like we could make a difference and that I cannot tell you how intensely motiv uh, motivating that trip to New York and watching 9-11 We'll get into some of the later. We actually talked to the NYPD because one of them was actually on our staff at one point about what happened on that on that horrible day. And we knew we could make a difference. And so we went about to develop software, uh, software ultimately that would be well received by all areas of law enforcement, federal, state and local. Uh, so much to the point that the Department of Home Security, Homeland Security was telling large corporations to contact us at some point. But sadly, once they, once you get in the wind of their knowledge that you have something that could be valuable, monetarily valuable, you become a target. And sadly, uh, big money is connected into the government. Right now they're talking about the oligarchs there in Russia, but there are oligarchs here. They're just, they're just in the shadows. Uh, and they will come after you just with a phone call, a large company. Most of them have former CIA and FBI directors on staff. So everybody's tied in. So if you think business is not corrupt, and what people will do for money, they don't care about your family, they don't care about you, they will put you in prison if it means you're uh, gonna be a competitor that's gonna take some business from them. So we'll get more into details on as we unpack all of the facts uh, from front to back on this story. And we have documentation to back up what we're talking about. Uh, and 
it's just it's absolutely uh, sh- a shocking story. I think everybody really needs really needs to listen in. No, absolutely right. And uh, folks, it it, may, it it will seem like a production of some kind, but it is a reality. It's not a Hollywood production, but that's the twist and the turns in this case. You would think this has to be a movie. This cannot be absolutely real. The fact of the matter is, it is 100% real. It is 100% authentic. And we're going to go down that road. So I would, I'd like to ask a question to any of the RP5 in regards. So David gives the emotions of Ground Zero, the devastation, as we all felt in this country when those towers came down. Uh, the people, the lives that were lost. What is going on? How did they infiltrate the terrorists, infiltrate this country with really one of the most sophisticated systems of protection uh, in the world? How does that happen, Samson? Well, the fact of the matter is, is back then, you know, I mean, I guess in my opinion, because I've worked with DOD for like 20 years now, this, the level of sophistication that we thought we had back then versus what we have available today, uh, is, is a far reach. And just having heard just a little bit about, you know, what these gentlemen developed. I mean, it was, it was decades ahead of its time, like now. So back then, you know, 2001, 2002, 2003, it was, it was far reaching. You know, I've worked with organizations where they try and, They've tried to get something similar. They've tried to do something like this where they can do traceability on known terrorist groups, known actors that have possible history in a different region of the world. The fact of the matter is it is still lacking. There's still there's still gaps. And we know they're there, and we do things to try and mitigate them. But as David alluded to, the fact of the matter is these huge corporations that are trying to have a stranglehold on these type of contracts and this kind of work – they don't want somebody coming in that has a solution because it's going to cost them millions, if not billions of dollars. So they would rather send, you know, five talented, God-fearing men to prison for nearly a decade than give up that amount of money. The fact of the matter is, is the, the men and women that I served with while I was in this service did not have to lose their lives to these terrorist groups because they would have been known actors, they would have been tracked, and there would be records on them if this software would have had a chance to see the light of day. You know, but the fact of the matter is, again, greed gets in the way. Body bags do not matter to these type type of people. The fact of the matter is, is the almighty dollar is what's covering up Lady Justice's eyes. The almighty dollar is lining the pockets of these attorneys, of these judges, and of everybody else that they are influencing so they can get their way. They don't care who they walk on. They want to, again, just continue to fill their bank accounts, you know, line their coffers. And at the end of the day, if it costs, you know, five guys their lives... And countless, you know, American veterans, their lives. So what? That that's the way it's coming across. You know, when it when you see this type of action happen time, and time and time again. And it's really not about finding a solution. That's the key. If you think about it, I mean, they're not. No one's looking for the solution. Because if we get the solution, then I mean, where's the money? We got all these just different systems out there. Doing supposedly doing the same thing, and what these guys were trying to do was create a system that all uh, agencies could use. 
and they, they, they could collaborate and, and, and share information. But, you know, in this instance, you could see that they didn't want that. So let's paint the picture for our listeners right now. So the RP5, a group of men, came together to create software that could help track terrorist organizations. Is that correct? Well, actually, it's a byproduct to help track terror. It's, it's to help law enforcement more accurately track information, more effectively collaborate and share information. To avoid to avoid uh, one of the major things about 9-11 is that the FBI did not share information with New York City Police Department. And also in the Parkland shooting, uh, the FBI didn't share tips. And there's a lawsuit. They just settled a lawsuit for the Parkland school shooting. The the federal government did just settle a hundred million, a multi hundred million dollar lawsuit because of the failure to share information. And all those people died at Parkland. So, What's, what the software does is it makes the entire everybody aware of what's going on. But to make everybody aware, you got to have to be willing culturally to want people to be aware. You'll see the, the police officers and FBI get on TV and say, uh, the first thing you hear on the press conference, they talk about their response time and they start patting themselves on the back. And then they, they, they thank their federal, state, and local partners. Uh, many times this is a show. Um, somebody always wants credit. And sadly, that's what ends up happening and is still going on to this day. Some agency wants credit, so they keep the information close to the best so they can get the agency that's recognized for solving a crime or stopping a terrorist attack. Uh, but out front, they're always going to say, well, we thank our state and law. Everybody's working together. That is just simply not true. So they're not working together, but they have this facade of uh, team player. Because here at the end of the day, if, if the FBI is aware of information that could stop and track terrorists, share that information versus ego issues at the door because somebody wants credit for it and somebody else doesn't want to give anybody credit for it that is insanity because you're either in the position to do your job and if you can avoid an attack egos have to be checked at the door and why wasn't that done and why wasn't the people involved in this type of egotistical garbage not held accountable and punished for failing to share information that could protect the United States. Well, you even see it today with the January 6th uh, insurrection. There was information that one agency knew and they didn't share with the other, any another one. So a, lo- a lot of things in this country could be prevented. And Silk, the software that was created by, our, by RP, help facilitate where you can have a centralized position and even not centralized you could still share from uh installation installation information about uh that may seem irrelevant to one uh person in another state but be could be critical to another agent or agency in another state saving lives and that's just all that was really the goal behind uh the silk software was we're trying to help america's law enforcement agencies do their jobs better that was our only goal 
and they had a problem with that. So we're protecting the men and women, boys and girls in America from being killed by terrorist actions because information has, according to David, the software was set up to share information. Uh, that information, of course, going information about terrorists or possible terrorist groups or individuals who were terrorists in the country that were sitting up, which they did. They came here, they trained at pilot schools to learn how to fly. They did all of that. Had information been shared? And ladies and gentlemen, the reason we share this, that was the purpose of the IRP-5. There was nothing criminal about this. This was about protecting the homeland. This was about a vision born at ground zero where the devastation was of such magnitude. These men saw a vision to help. The United States of America, the government of the United States, says we would like to thank your patriotism and we're gonna lock you up and bring you up on charges for what reason? The reason, zero. No reason at all. But said, look, this is what we'll do because Egos got in the way. Race got in the way, whether you believe it or not. That's a problem. We're going to come back here in a few moments. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, this is serious business, folks. Believe that. This is serious business. There should be nothing happening in this country that should interfere with the safety of the United States and its citizens, and we still have racism in this country, well, we don't want the blacks to get credit for this software. Well, get over it. If I'm drowning, man, I'm going to tell you one thing. I don't care what color you are if you, draw, if you throw me the lifeline. It doesn't matter. But that shows you the depth of racism. And how does race come into a situation like this when you have men committed to making a difference? And the difference is life and death. We'll deal with that on the other side of the break. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Nine one one, operator nine one one. Where's the emergency? One twenty seven, Brimir. Okay, what's going on there? I'd like to order a pizza for delivery. Ma'am, you've reached nine one one. This is an emergency yeah, line. Uh, large with half pepperoni, half mushroom. Um, you know you've called 911. This is an emergency line. Do you know how long it'll be? Okay, ma'am. Is everything okay over there? Do you have an emergency or not? Yes. And you're unable to talk because... Right, right. Is there someone in the room with you? Just say yes or no. Yes. Okay, um... It looks like I have an officer about a mile from your location. Are there any weapons in your house? No. Can you stay on the phone with me? No. Uh, see you soon. Thank you. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that, life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation. You can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. 
Call or just calls today. 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. Because I'm 16, I can't drive at night. Because I'm 16, I can't work past 10 o'clock on a school night. Because I'm 16, I can't get a cell phone contract without my parents. Because I'm 16, I can't get a flu shot without my mother's consent. At 16, I'm not old enough to watch an R-rated movie alone. Because I'm 16, I can't buy a lottery ticket. I can't vote. I can't drink. I can't smoke. I can't join the military. Because I'm 16, I can't sit on a jury, but I can be tried as an adult. I can get a lifetime criminal record. If I get arrested, my parents don't have to be notified. Because I'm 16, my mother had to sign this consent form so that I could participate in this video. But I can go to an adult prison. But I can go to Rikers Island. But I can be sent to Attica. My name is Michael Corriero. I was a judge for 28 years in the criminal courts of the state of New York. New York is one of only two states in the entire nation that automatically tries children as young as 16 as adults. We need to change that. Last week, my father sent me to my room. Next week, a judge could sentence me to an adult prison. We need to judge children as children. It's time to raise the age of criminal responsibility in New York. Odds of becoming an astronaut, 1 in 13,200,000. Odds of being struck by lightning, 1 in 576,000. Odds of dating a supermodel, 1 in 88,000. Odds of bowling a perfect game, 1 in 11,500. Odds of being trapped in an elevator, 1 in 24,528. Odds of catching a ball at a major league game, 1 in 563. Odds of an injury from shaving, 1 in 6,585. Odds of tripping while texting, one in 10. Odds of getting cancer in your lifetime? One in two men, one in three women. It's up to us to change the odds for our generation. For the ones we love. For our future. If you don't like the odds, stand up. Stand up to cancer. Sergeant Michelle Garcia served meritoriously in Iraq and has the medals to prove it. Soon after leaving the Navy, Lieutenant Chris Scott found a job, a home, and started a family of his own. Corpsman Richard Stokely took the skills he learned in Vietnam and put them to good use as a paramedic. But soon after leaving the military, each of these veterans fell on hard times and faced homelessness. Even after Michelle lost all her savings, even after Chris wasn't able to pay his mortgage, and even after Richard battled alcoholism for years, they each reached out for help when they needed it most. A simple phone call put them in touch with a trained professional from the Department of Veterans Affairs. That call got Michelle a place to stay until she could afford one of her own, put Chris in touch with employment assistance, 
and found Richard a substance abuse program. These veterans are success stories not only for how they were able to help others while serving their country, but for how they were able to let others help them. If you know of or are a veteran in need, make the call. five are men that suffered an injustice. I want you to remember their names. David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, and Clinton Stewart. A story that you cannot possibly believe if you're not familiar with the system and how corrupt it has become. We'd like to hear from you tonight if you got questions for the IRP5. Feel free to call in 646-200-0628, 646-200-0628, and we'd love to hear from you. I know our Internet listeners are on the Internet, but if you want to break away, uh, that's the phone number you can call in to chime in to this show. Uh, right now, we begin this journey. Uh, the groundwork has been laid, the vision from Ground Zero, which prompted each and each of these individuals became a reality. Hard work through blood, sweat, and tears, if you will, uh, this software was created. This software was built for one purpose and one purpose alone. And none of them had to do with criminal activity. But this system that we call the system, that we say is the greatest system in the world, negative, not true. Because this same system that states it's the best that we've ever had. Sends innocent men to prison and they did it to the IRP5 in the middle of patriotic work. This is how America treated their patriots. We're going to tell that story. Dave Zapolo. Well, when you hear this story, you're going to find out <coughs> that each one of the IRP5 had a personal reason for wanting to do it, for wanting to make this software and make the country safer. For me, on 9-11, I remember talking to my sister, and she was hysterical. She kept saying, this could have been me, this could have been me, this could have been me. And I knew that she was supposed to be on a plane that day, but it was later in the day, so I kept telling her, no, it couldn't have, no, it couldn't have. And I found out later on that she had tickets for either American Airlines Flight 11 out of Boston or United Flight 175. I can't remember which one it was right now. But she had tickets on that, one of those flights that crashed into the World Trade Center. And she changed her flight the night before so she could take her kids to school. She was supposed to be flying from Boston to L.A. And that made it personal for me. This is why I wanted to be involved, because I could have lost a sibling on 9-11. So when you begin to start the work, I presume the driven spirit, if you will, that you were uh, driving this thing with, 
was with extreme passion uh, that this not happened to someone else. Is that correct? Absolutely. Everybody in the company was like that. It was whatever it takes, let's get this done because we can, if it takes hours upon hours of our time, we can get this done and we can help somebody else in this country. All right. Kendrick, what was your vision after, uh, what made this personal for you? Well, uh, two, because this was during uh, the dot-com bust around 2004. And, I mean, there were, there were websites for everything, books.com, whatever. And I was just so, when I saw the need that was out there with information sharing with law enforcement, and this company, IRP, had the plan. You could see this was this was going to be something huge, and I wanted to be a part of that. And I wanted I wanted to help my friends succeed because one, I'd never heard of a black software company in 2004, and it was like to be a part of something that could be from not only from the ground up something huge, but then have a, a historical effect. There was no software for law enforcement for sharing so for information sharing. There was no, and there was there was no software that that helped law enforcement to just do an investigation. And this software was not just. I mean, there were so many features that the software, even to this day, is still advanced. That I just wanted to be a part of something and help, you know, my brothers succeed, and and, and as a side effect, help this country, uh, you know, do better, you know, and it succeed itself. Wow, I mean, that says a lot, Demetrius. What's, how did this become personal for you? Uh, we're all IT guys. Um, the vision, as Kendrick alluded to, data is, is power. They always say information is power. And we were going to be a part. Uh, we were going to revolutionize the way law enforcement did their jobs to make, make it easier for them to communicate. So being a database guy myself, data has a quantitative value. And ultimately, from David's point about being at uh, ground zero, this is at, ultimately, at the end of the day, is saving lives. Because data in lives had information to say, hey, this person we've been watching, a purchase of interest, this person of interest over here in this uh, state or city, all that cooperative information being brought together could help save lives. That was, to me, the power in data, and we see that today, data scientists, we were doing this 15, 17 years ago. And to this day, we still don't have a solution. Are you kidding me? This is why we went the path where we went. Because we had something that was going to change the way we shared information for our law enforcement people. Well, Clint, how did this become personal for you? Yeah, it was, uh, it was really interesting because originally um, the company was approached by the El Paso County Sheriff's Department to come up with a solution that would actually computerize criminal investigations. And so I got involved and there was a lot of, you know, creating and innovating. You know, how would you do that? You know, I remember, um, you know, one of, one of the things that we focus on is process and procedures. And we would look at each agency and say, well, how, what's your current process? And we would go through that, you know, 
what is your current way that you do things? For example, if you're dealing with, uh, you know, uh, one type of an investigation as opposed to another type of investigation. And so there's a lot of creativity that actually went into that and uh, imagination and so forth. So, yeah, you definitely got personally involved with coming up with the solution and seeing how it could be aligned with current IT practices, information value chain, a lot of stuff like that. Right. Um, so it'd be, it definitely uh, had a personal, personal involvement. But the, what I'm hearing is that the overall picture was to protect the homeland. Absolutely, yes. It, it wasn't about money. Each one of us was making more money in the private sector than when we went to IRP. And they talked about in the trial that nobody made any money. Well, we're the dumbest criminals ever if this was about making money and we didn't make any money. I could have made more money if I stayed out and worked at other companies. So and there was, there was, this wasn't about a monetary benefit. Right. This was about passion. Passion, which ultimately brings a monetary benefit, ultimately, ultimately. as a result. Yeah. But the, the, the purpose or the mental focus was what happened at Ground Zero in New York City. There was a cause. There you go. It was a cause, and we sacrificed for that cause. For that cause. We sacrificed our personal salaries that we knew we could have been making more money for that cause of doing something that had never been done before and enhancing the process within law enforcement well, to be able to do and, this. And saving lives. Maybe. Absolutely. And I don't want to... I don't want to... Uh, go. Obviously, if successful... Right. Uh, the lives and the lives of our families, obviously, and our retirements and all that stuff would have been uh, benefited as a result of it. But that's not that's not what drives somebody who has entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, you work harder than you ever work, and you work more hours, but you feel freer. And unless you've been an entrepreneur, you really don't understand that. I've, I remember probably working 16 to 18 hours for almost two years straight just non-stop uh really working hard to create something that would give value to not only law enforcement but to to the country it's always good to have these dual purpose type things you could live the american dream and while living the american dream you can benefit your country in a in a in a great great way so that's those two things combined together really uh increase and, and put fire in your belly to be able to accomplish uh uh accomplish this goal and, and to accomplish something uh in many words that, that's bigger than than you really are and, and just to add to that we had the solution i mean this it, it wasn't just the goal, we had the solution. This software worked. There was not one agency or individual that when we demoed the software said that, you know, this isn't, we don't see the value in it or whatever. No, this was it. This was the solution. This is what drove us because we knew it wasn't just we're working hard and we hope this is going to work and whatever. We knew, hey, guys, this is the solution. Let's make this happen. This is going to benefit this country. So... The solution was found uh, down to information uh, on the Hill when they had uh, 
commission, the 9-11 commission. 9/11 commission wanted to get, Congress was asking for answers uh, and some, something to be, be done in regards to sharing information. And I, and I think the, the, there was something in place, but it, it, it yielded no fruit. Well, there was, uh, before I get into what there was, what was going on in the government at the time after 9-11, and Kendrick was talking about having a solution. The assistant uh, chief of detectives from the NYPD, longtime friend of Ray Kelly, who was the commissioner at the time, said these words. I want this IRP Silk solution to be my legacy to the department. Those are his words. That's how special the software was. Now, uh, digressing back to what you were saying about what was going on in the government. Uh, 9-11 exposed the government uh, for having impediments and failures in information sharing. The 9-11 Commission found was a uh, one of the causes that, that contributed to the attack on the on the nation. Uh, uh, defense contractor SAIC had developed what they called, they put this contract out there, uh, virtual case file, a VCF. That was the fir- their first attempt to, for the FBI specifically, who, uh, who by the way, failed to share information, uh, to get them a case management solution that would that would modernize their case management system and improve their processes. Well, that was a failure. Um, later on, uh, it was a it's a four hundred to five hundred million dollar failure, and 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 on top of that. They came again after BCF, uh, which failed around, I can't remember the exact date, uh, somewhere in the early 2000s, virtual case file had failed. And Congress was lambasting the FBI for, for that failure and spending the taxpayers' money uh, on, that, on that solution. And then they they were going to open up a new solution, and that's where we end up uh, request for a new technology, and that's where we got involved. And the story, the backstory behind that, uh, you're going to find quite uh, remarkable. Oh, absolutely right. Um, so you have a system that had failed. You guys had a system, as Kendrick just said, the solution. Which would have, which is what Congress was calling for. They kept saying, we don't have nothing. They brought the people who created uh, the virtual case file before Congress. Said we, they've invested hundreds of millions of dollars, and it was a failure. And it was barely anything. That's the worst part, is there was barely anything to what they did. And they, the government paid them so much money, and nobody went to prison for that. And, and keep in mind, right. big companies rarely innovate. Most innovation in this country comes from small companies who come up with a great idea and they innovate. And they create something that you see it in all, whether it be the, the advent of personal computers to social media, social networking and stuff like that. 
these were not the large companies that started these these started small um and the same was was true about our silk solution it was a small company and the big companies trying to retrofit something we hired law enforcement brought them in learned what they did and started from the ground up uh, and became intimate with their process so we could develop something that would work. Okay, so let me make sure I'm clear for our listeners that the RP5, as David just alluded to, Demetrius and Kendrick and Dave, here's what they say. We have the solution to the problem. They developed relationships with law enforcement, former law enforcement, former FBI, is that correct? Former FBI, uh, NYPD, was on staff. So you got all of these things happening. And anyone with common sense, if this was an effort to commit a crime, exactly. which it wasn't, as we said at the onset of this show, law enforcement would have never been brought in. Former FBI people would have never been brought in because they are trained to recognize if there's criminal intent or activity, they're not going to put their name on it. That's not what happened in this case. So tell me really quick, uh, uh, David, tell me what things were happening at the height of IRP, of the IRP5, uh, I said IRP5 commission, what you guys were out here trying to do. Uh, you were traveling all over the country, out of the country, pushing this software is that correct that tell is, our listeners about that that is correct the first uh client server software was built uh on windows-based technology and was a client server it wasn't browser or web-based um at that particular time we started with the colorado bureau of investigation who was working on a korean prostitution ring but they didn't have any effective way to collaborate and share information uh so I'm not sure. I think we may have reached out to them or they reached out to us. I think Clint was involved in some of that. And that's where that's where things initiated. So at the end of the day, Colorado Bureau Investigation had agreed for $375,000 in, in the nascent stages of, of our company to purchase the software and be a beta customer uh, so we could help them with their Korean prostitution ring. Okay. Uh, we don't know what happened. Obviously, we, we talked to the head of the Colorado Bureau investigation at the time with Bob Sexton, uh, and everything was a go. I have the emails to approve it. Then all of a sudden, there was a claim that we didn't have any money. Well, we talked about 375. Well, we'll help you get a grant. And that's where everything launched. And when that, by, by about time that that kind of went away we had invested uh and went in debt to support the colorado bureau of investigation and that initiative expecting a return on that investment sure uh from their commitment to be a beta customer uh obviously put us in a bad position but about that time the department of homeland security was calling so th things were going in place that would generate business or a revenue to the IRP-5. Right. Um, which is not unusual when you're trying to get started in a company. Most companies incur debt. 
at any given time of starting a company. You're building, you have pending contracts or things that are pointing business and they're not to even, your way. Yeah, and everything, and we keep saying, we have emails to back up these claims. We weren't just out there flying by the seat of our pants uh, to, uh, as a government would contend, to not pay debts. Well, to set up companies not to pay debts. It's still a bizarre claim made by the government. uh, And none of it makes sense. That's why it's so important that people continue to listen to the facts of this story and see exactly what the government did to take us out, take us out, take us down, however you want to call it, what they actually did. And like I said, this was obviously the one of the most painful experiences of, of, of our lives is, is for when a government abuses power, it can literally destroy lives. And that's why the story needs to be told. And, and my, okay. yes, but one of the things as David was talking, you got to remember this time, as Kendrick alluded to earlier, this was after the tech bu- uh, uh, bust. And the excitement in the office, we had a bell that we would ring for good news. And David and others would come and say all the positive feedback from these are gentlemen in the Department of Homeland Security, higher ups and certain agencies and, and within our government that said we have never seen anything like your software solution. Okay, say that again. We have never seen anything, anything like your. So when Dave is ringing the bell, as Kendrick said, we were excited like, man, we are part of something great based off of not what our, we we always think it's great, but these are people that in government saying, we haven't seen anything like this ever. So that lets you, as a, from an entrepreneur, you feel like, man, we are on the right path of greatness. We are on the right path of not only changing the dynamics. And then there was another statement, please correct me if I'm wrong, David, when someone said, you never know, this this might be, IRP talking about us, this might be the next Microsoft. Well, that's why the company's extending. Is that what was said? Well, yeah, uh, the companies, we uh, were given credit by staffing companies. So staffing companies will extend us credit. Uh, we're anticipating closing business, so we continue to make modifications to software at the behest and request of the Department of Homeland Security. We're making these changes in an, in an effort to gain their business by showing them what the software uh, can do. And to Demetrius' last point, when he, when he said this is the best we've ever seen, we were contacted by IBM saying that a large federal agency, which was Department of Homeland Security, said to contact you because you actually, and this is an email. We keep saying this stuff. This is an email uh, that that, that you had a solution uh, that was beneficial to them. Well, to Kendrick's point, uh, this is a wow moment is what it comes out to be. This may be the next Microsoft. And uh, if if you've been living under a rock, and may not know what the success of Microsoft is, it's astronomical. But we have five men developing the RP5, developing software, talking to law enforcement, talking to Homeland Security, uh, excited as they work in their offices, they're getting calls from the higher ups. These men were in a position to make a huge, 
difference in, the, in this nation. This is what makes what happened to them so very egregious. We're going to deal with that. We're going to talk about when did the tide turn. Right now, this looks like a perfect movie. It looks good. Everything is. You got the smoke. You got the slow music playing. You're feeling good. The green is going on outside. But when did the storm come? We're going to deal with that on the other side of this break. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Look, right now, uh, while you're looking at this on your screen in your hand or on your computer, there's somebody just like you who's sitting in a prison cell. And they didn't do much more than you did, you know, some crazy weekend. You didn't get caught. They got caught. And they can never get uncaught. The United States of America is now the number one incarcerator of human beings in the world, in the history of the world. Uh, we have about 5% of the world's population. We have 25% of the world's prisoners. Um, we, are, we have more people locked up than China. China, who has a billion people, they got fewer prisoners than we do. You know, a lot of times people say, well, if you don't want to do the time, don't do the crime. Really? Have, have you ever committed a crime? You got people who are doing more drugs in, on college campuses, in uh, uh, yacht clubs, country clubs. We all know that's going on, but the SWAT team never shows up there. The SWAT team shows up in the housing projects where you got poorer people doing fewer drugs, and those people go to prison. But think about it. What if one of the times when you were breaking the law, when you had something illegal in your pocket, in your car, at your party, the police had kicked in those doors, would you want to be known for the rest of your life? based on what happened that night. That is what is happening to millions of people. If rich folks' kids get in trouble, they go to rehab. Poor folks' kids get in trouble, they go to prison. And you spend $100,000 per year per kid to lock a kid up. When you could have spent a fraction of that and turned them into a NASA scientist, turned them into a, a fashion icon. When people come home from prison, they're not given the opportunity to start over. You leave a physical prison and you go into a social prison where you can't get a job, you can't get a student loan, you can't rent an, rent an apartment. How are people supposed to start over? And what happens to neighborhoods when you take a disproportionate number of people out for minor offenses and you send them back home with no hope and no opportunity? There are no more excuses to have this horrible system continue when there is now finally bipartisan agreement that it is a tragedy to do this. Not only do you have President Obama and the Democrats, you now actually have uh, people like Paul Ryan, Coke Industries, Newt Gingrich, all saying the same thing. We are locking up too many people. We're wasting too much money. We're, we're wasting too much genius in America. And it's time to do something. Mass incarceration means that we've got a very high rate of incarceration historically, comparatively. And the other thing is the rate of incarceration is so high, so socially concentrated, that we're no longer incarcerating the individual, but we're incarcerating whole social groups. The rate of incarceration now is about five times higher than it was historically. Historically it was 100 per 100,000, now it's about 500 per 100,000 if we look at prison. If we add jail to that, 
It's about 700 per 100,000. Nowhere in the world incarcerates as much as we do. We've seen extremely high rates of exposure to the criminal justice system for African-American men with very low levels of schooling. So if we think about black men who were born in the late 1970s and who were growing up through the American prison boom of the 1980s and the 1990s, the chances that they're going to serve time in state or federal prison if they dropped out of high school is about 70%. So going to prison for that group of black men with very low levels of schooling, that's become a normal life event. And that's really only happened in the last 10 years. We're at this point now where there's about 1.2 million African-American children with a parent who's incarcerated. That's about one in nine. The research shows the kids who experience parental incarceration have diminished school achievement, they have behavioural problems, depressive symptoms, acting out. And there's also evidence that these kinds of negative effects associated with parental incarceration are concentrated more among boys than among girls. And there's a very real risk here that incarceration becomes an inherited trait. The underlying issue is we've chosen prison as a way to respond to that problem of crime. And there are a whole variety of ways that we could have chosen to respond to that problem of crime. We've chosen the response of the deprivation of liberty. And we've chosen the response of the deprivation of liberty for a historically aggrieved group whose liberty in the United States was never firmly established to begin with. There's an old saying that says there's a eerie quiet before the storm. The RP5 were on a path of success as they begin to maneuver through the trenches to protect the homeland. Things were moving at a very serious pace. Calls are coming in from Homeland Security. People are asking questions. IBM is calling saying we have been told to contact the IRP-5. At face value, things look to be going in the right direction. Continue to go with us on this journey of the IRP-5 story, which at some very serious point, a tsunami of injustice arrived. Dave Zappolo, go ahead and take us down that road as these calls are coming in. You guys are ringing bells in the workplace. People are excited. People are motivated. Anyone listening to that would be very excited with you that, look, as Kendrick made it very clear, the solution had been found. And you guys were really on the launching pad, if you will, to take off off the runway. Something grounded you. Go there with us. Well, when you look at 
everything that was happening. You had people, this is the best thing we've seen. We have to have this. NYPD, uh, Homeland Security, other agencies across the country. You saw that there's no question that this software is going to get sold and we are going to pay off all our bills. There's just no question there. But you saw every once in a while something would come up that was odd. And we've talked about the racial issue. Well, a member of the NYPD actually told members of the IRP5, you need to put a white face on this company. So some of the things right there, it's a racial issue. Why isn't the software being sold? Others, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Other situations that we we saw, we found out after we were indicted and we saw a discovery. The FBI was going into our potential clients after we would show them the software and say they're under investigation. So you have a situation where law enforcement wants to move forward with us, but then they start getting nervous. So you see that the FBI had this self-fulfilling prophecy is they were causing us not to be able to sell the software. And when I testified at the grand jury, one of the grand jurors said, well, you saw that you were incurring debt. Why did you keep incurring debt? And I told them, I said, straight out, I've been in business for years, for almost 20 years. When you have a customer that says, we have to have that software, you know a contract is around the corner. And one sale of not even the full package would have paid off all the bills and put money in the bank. Are you gonna Are you gonna turn around and say, "Well, I um, I owe some money. I'm just gonna stop." That doesn't make any sense. And the grand jurors, the whole grand jury, looked at me and just shook their head. Yes, absolutely. So you see that even they understood. No, you see this coming from around the corner. You have to keep moving. Well, point real made. Uh, at the end of the day, this thing was moving like a freight train. There was nothing going to stop it. This tells you the systematic issues with bigotry and racism leads out to stuff. It doesn't matter what you're doing. These African-Americans, one Italian-American, which they'll, they'll tag you as an African-American lover, black person lover, I'll leave it there. Uh, they treat you the same way. The, the sickness here is that this was a freight train of a solution to save a nation. And it was stopped at the hands of this criminal justice system. To give you an idea of how much these law enforcement members liked the software, we had one law enforcement agency that had actually just purchased a competing software package and were implementing it they flew out to Colorado Springs to still see our office, talk to us, and look at what we had. So promising business was on the table, without question. No question. Uh, um, yes. And let's, uh, as we 
move down the line uh, of what Dave is saying. I want to go to October of 2004. And I want to go to October of 2004. Specifically, in the summer of 2004, I uh, and a couple more, I think Clint was there, a couple more executives had attended an industry day in Washington, D.C. for what they were calling the Federal Investigative Case Management System. Uh, So they put out a request for information that all the companies could respond to to uh, document what solution they had uh, that could solve their investigative case management problems as well as their collaboration and information sharing problems. Uh, obviously we participated in that request for information, that RFI, uh, as well as many other companies, IBM, Northrop Grumman, uh, Lockheed Martin, you can go down the list of defense contractors and household name type of system integrators that are out there. All of them were, were participating in this industry day. Well, after the RFI closed, we were called back one week after the RFI closed and says, the government, we want to set up a time to view your software. Now, this was something coordinated by the Department of Homeland Security because uh, this was a joint uh, DHS Homeland Security DOJ initiative. So they set up a meeting whereby, if I can recall, 20 plus law enforcement agencies were there to view the software, including the F four from four members of the FBI, Immigration and Customs, Secret Service, US Marshals, Border Patrol, all of them were there to present the software. After my demonstration, the Department of Homeland Security official tells me the FBI loved your software. Uh and weeks later they asked for a quote for two, two components of the software. Uh, that quote ended up being over $100 million. Just two and a half months later, our business was raided and was a search warrant, and we were being called by the government a purported software company. All right, and, and to your point, David, two, two points I want to ask the IRP5 here. If anyone you can answer it, please do. Homeland Security was requesting two of the modules. What were those modules? One was confidential informant, and the other one was a central case management uh, software. So they saw that that was a specific need that yes. they pinpointed. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, and then there was an email sent out that stated, for your eyes only, that came from DHS. Well, uh, for your eyes only was some uh, requirements and specifics that the Department of Homeland Security uh, needed satisfied in the software. And it bears mentioning that the RFI I just spoke about, mm-hmm. when they put it together, was based on our software. So we knew we, we were a sole, we know we were the sole source for this solution. So our solution was what what the government based their their uh, request on for all the other companies because they wanted 
all of the requirements to be based on our software to see if other companies could actually match those requirements. Which they could not. No, that and is and correct. And if you so, go and if just 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 to, to to support David's point, if you go to Wikipedia now and look up virtual case file, their quote is: "The software was originally intended to be deployed in mid 2004, and was originally intended to be little more than a web front end to the existing ACS system." This was 2004. We're talking about. So this is not just we're making this up. We're talking about we were the only company at that time that had any solution, any innovative solution, any solution that would work. We're talking about uh, DHS saw our solution and realized the FBI was already underway with a virtual case file. They didn't. They could have just easily went to the FBI and said, hey, let us copy your system. They went to the public and looked doing this RFI. Out of all the major corporations, little old IRP had the solution. So you, they wanted to build this off. IRP5 software was the poster child. It was the for basis for the RFI. Period. Period. If you look at, because uh, prior to the RFI, we had uh, met numerous times with Washington, D.C., both both uh, in person in DC and via Zoom or whatever the Skype or whatever the technology was. I think it was WebEx. At WebEx. We did a lot of WebEx presentations as well. And we were involved with them and they were actually we were actually making modifications to the software and going further into debt to satisfy the government. Uh, DHS requests in anticipation that we would be able to gain business from them. Wow. Do you do, do look this is over the top. This is this is absolutely speaks and gives credibility to the RP5. And then you come in and criminalize. I don't even know how that happens here. I don't know how that happens here. Samson. Yeah, so uh, as someone that's worked around contracts like this, like there's a certain dollar limit that they that the government puts on it where you have to you, you can't do a sole sourcing. So what they do is exactly what David was talking about. They do they do what they call targeted requirements. So they find this poster child, this model of exactly what they want to help them more easily differentiate them from the competition. The fact that they got rated, what, two and a half months after that, that thing came out is not a surprise because the fact of the matter is the big four realized that they were about to lose hundreds of millions of dollars in not only current business but future business. I mean, like I said, I've to, s- to, to, IRP5. to IRP5. Yeah, they're, they're, actually, they're going to lose, like I said, hundreds of millions of dollars easily. Well, actually, to your point, uh, and this will be, we'll, we'll fast forward, we'll get to this at some point. The Department of Homeland Security official said at trial that to implement our software would have cost them a billion dollars for this type of initiative. He said that on the witness stand. Uh, so you have the tip of the iceberg at $100 million, back in $1 billion that the big four would not be able to get their hands on. Right. To a small black company. Yep. So... Well, I'm, very, I'm very seldom speechless. At this moment, and we've talked about this story a thousand times, but the reason it has to be laid out again, it is absurd 
that anything other than success comes out of this situation and the hard work that all of these men have talked about, it seems unreal. Bear in mind, we had sales. Software was being sold. We had a number of sales of a, of a version of the software for single user on a laptop investigators, okay? Every time they would ask us for an enhancement, an improvement in functionality. Uh, David uh, mentioned uh, Colorado Bureau of Investigation. They asked us for a multi-user version after they saw the single user version actually worked. Okay, so when we say presentation, we mean demonstration. Actually entering the data, going into the database, coming back, showing the result of that in a case that's actually being worked. We put in some mock data so they would actually see it demonstrated. So we had sales of the software to smaller agencies, so on and so forth. Colorado Bureau of Investigation wanted functionality for multi-user. Okay, so we gave them that functionality, the client server that David had mentioned. When they asked for new enhancements, DHS asked for more enhancement, web-based, put a federal face on it. Okay, so federal user interface as opposed to state and local or uh, this type of functionality. We'd go away and six weeks later come back with successful functionality to actually demonstrate and show to them. Now, my understanding of the software was the fact that uh, regardless of what system of law enforcement the software was installed at, what made it unique, it would adapt to an existing system. Customizable. Is that That's, right? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, on the, it's, it's an adaptable enforcement framework. So basically, and for people who don't know computing, uh, ERP systems is what businesses use to uh, give them 70% of their functionality to run their business, whether it be finances, human capital, or, or human resources, etc., They'll get these software that uh, gives them 70% of what their business normally does and, and that framework so they can conduct business, and then they'll customize the rest. Silk Software was built on the same model. Very adaptable, and we put in adaptability com uh, uh, as part of the design. Which is awesome. Yeah, because every agency does a little bit different. You have different legislation. You have different process and procedures, but the majority of them, uh, investigations is the same. You're still going to collect the same type of information. You're going to generate different uh, forms ultimately, but uh, if you're able to give them 70 to 80% of what they need and then customize to each agency, it's it's it becomes something very uh, useful. When other companies are trying to retrofit, make companies retrofit to their software, we brought them something that would be seamless for them that they could adapt to their process and procedures and continue to function so, efficiently uh, with the system. So let me be clear on this. I can go to New York City, NYPD. That software is equipped to customize with that system. I can go to Chicago. That's, that software will equip is equipped to adapt to that system. I can go to... Uh, San Francisco, California, L.A., PD. That's, this software will adapt to an existing system. You could go to Colombia. You could go to England. You could go to Dubai. Uh, a full internationalization capability was built into the software. 
to convert into into their uh, language set so they could actually work on the software as well. So, uh, so you had a international piece of software that adapts around the globe. Is that what I'm hearing? For any agency or national police forces uh, uh, business or, or investigative processes. Well, folks, listen to me very carefully. I, I don't know about you. The temperature's rising in AJC Radio tonight. These facts are absolutely smoking. To the point it can generate major uh I don't want not consequences, but benefits to these agencies that if you're talking international and national in the United States, we're talking about a software that not only protects the homeland, it protects the globe. And uh, keep in mind, law enforcement technology still isn't at this today isn't up to snuff. Um, they collect a lot of information, right. but they don't really know how to share it. Not only share it, but even manage that information efficiently, sort through it, and and analyze that information in a very timely fashion, which is required to stop criminal activity or a terrorist attack. You have to be able to quickly analyze information, analyze threats, and say, look, this could be something, and turn it into actionable uh intelligence or something along those lines where they can act and thwart criminal activity and or a terrorist investigation terrorist attack and i don't know about you this is absolutely needed and was absolutely needed at the time that it was developed other side of the break we want to talk about the next steps that happen that turn the tide uh, but I'll tell you right now, whoever got in the way, and there are many players who interfered with the RP5, these are not patriots of America. They're not patriots. Because they stood in the way of this software, which sounds to me unique of, at, its, at, its, it, you know, at its own level, it is unique to itself. And to this day, there is no such software by any other company or organization. But this software is under lock and key, which means it can still make a difference in this nation. We'll deal with that on the other side of the break. AJC Radio, the IRP5 journey continues next. This is AJC Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% 
of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call 1-855-529-4252. That is a just cause. And we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay. Call 1-855-529-4252. It is time, and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today. The United States houses more human beings in prisons than any other country in the world. This is true whether you're counting total numbers or in relation to population size. This wasn't always the case. The number of prisoners in the U.S. began to rise dramatically in the 1970s. So what changed in America compared to other countries? While there are several competing theories, a look at the data reveals that a significant part of the prison growth in the last 40 years has been driven by the war on drugs. Here's the data. By 1980, there were over 315,000 prisoners in state and federal facilities. 57% were violent offenders. 30% were property violators, such as thieves or those convicted of fraud. 5.5% of inmates were in for public order and other miscellaneous offenses. And the remaining 7.5% were nonviolent drug law violators. Ten years later, the drug war had grown, and the total American prison population had more than doubled to over 740,000 inmates. The proportion of offenders in each type of crime had also changed dramatically. The most growth occurred in the nonviolent drug offender population, which grew to a significant 24%. And this last statistic actually understates the influence of the drug war on prison populations. Many studies have shown that drug prohibition causes violent crime by leading to the formation of gangs and cartels. And thus it is safe to say that the number of violent criminals under prohibition is higher than it would otherwise be. From 1990 to 2000, the drug-driven population growth continued. By 2000, the total prison population had almost doubled again to over 1.3 million inmates. And by 2010, the prison population was up to 1.6 million people. The growth has started to settle and even decline in recent years, but the proportions of offenses are retaining their post-1990 levels. America's unique methods of enforcing drug prohibition seem to parallel its unique prison population. And one has to ask, is our country really better off with so many nonviolent drug offenders behind bars? Are drug users likely to be cured from addiction by being locked up? Has locking up dealers and users lessened the demand for drugs? Certainly, the effects on overall usage could not be called a success. And yet we spend billions every year on this war and lock up hundreds of thousands. Surely, there must be a less costly approach to addressing drug use in America.
I've been getting mixed messages about women and violence. I need a little clarification. Uncle Bill, how am I supposed to grow up to respect women when I have such lousy role models? Boys are never going to approach you. Can you help me reshape my attitudes towards women? You need to teach them that violence against women is wrong. back to AJC Radio tonight as we have, I'll tell you what, folks, this is information that what's amazing about it is we've, we've told this story before. We've talked about this before. Why is it tonight as we go from day one, what happened, what was transpiring, why does it feel brand new? Because the impact of what happened to the RP5 was that egregious. Our purpose is to tell the truth, to expose corruption where we find it. When you hear about the groundwork laid in the RP5 case, it is clear there was no intent of criminal activity here. The work was happening too quick. It, they were working too hard. They were focused. They were excited. That's not the sign of criminal activity in what we've heard in the RP5 case. David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, Clinton Stewart. Make no mistake about it. These were men with a purpose, a vision to impact a nation. And for the things that have gone on to these men, to their families, to their church community, everything is absolutely egregious. Somebody should answer for that. Somebody should be held accountable. All because these men were driven with a drive to avoid another 9-11. I don't know about you. It sounds like patriots to me. Dennis, your thoughts? I agree. Again, these guys were, I mean, outstanding. I mean, they were, you know, a part of the community. No, I mean, no crimp, no, nothing going on in their lives but trying to do the right thing. And I tell you, this is one of the, the uh, this is truly the incident that caused me to, I, I just don't believe in justice anymore, period. Because when you got these stand-up guys trying to do something for a country, and what do they get in return for it? Prison? I lost all faith in our justice system. Well, I'll tell you this. You're talking about gentlemen, uh, and I'm going to ask each of you your work history right now. These are men that did not ha – these were not criminals. There is no criminal background with these guys. David Banks was a was working in the industry. David, tell them what you were doing. Well, prior to going into the IT industry, I was in the U.S. Navy uh, doing air traffic control. I got out of the Navy uh, 96, 95 time frame and got in, ultimately got into some software testing. Uh, worked hard, 
got into uh, database administration. Then by over a 20 plus year career, I'm, I'm had elevated myself to uh, enterprise data architecture and where I worked for a lot of Fortune 500 companies and was doing that, that sort of work. Uh, during that period, obviously I got involved with IRP uh, uh, to kind of put that on hold to pursue uh, uh, this uh, great software Vision. solution uh, uh, for the country. Absolutely. So, a, a veteran? Yes. In the armed services, ladies and gentlemen, of the United States, that's David Banks. Not a criminal, not someone that was selling drugs on a street corner. He was a veteran. He's a veteran and fought for this country. And keep in mind, I didn't wake up in my late 30s, early 40s and decide I'm going to start committing crime. It didn't make any it just sense. just didn't happen. Well, the pattern, doesn't, it doesn't mix. Demetrius Harper. Um, to David's point, David uh, said he was a database administrator. Early. He, he was my mentor. Uh, so what did you do? I I was in database administration, but he basically took me under his wings, and that's where I got my kick into IT. Uh, so I've been at Oracle Database Administrator over 15 years. So as David mentioned, we we took a pause, and Dave Zapolo mentioned it earlier. We were making I was making close to four hundred thousand dollars a year as a DBA. Okay, so I leave that to pursue this. Pursue this. So again, so, we're not uh, criminals. So a patriot. Patriot. Without we, question. Without question. Kendrick Barnes. Uh, <clears throat> I kind of started, you know, doing the system administration first, then moved into, actually, I kind of followed Demetrius and David into uh, uh, database administration, Oracle database administration. Uh, and then uh, I kind of got bored with that and then moved into, like, programming. So I mean I've been in the, I've done some of anything I got like many hats on so and no criminal record no whatsoever. criminal record and I'm and I and I and, and again similar to Demetrius I had a thriving career I mean I I could have worked anywhere I wanted I I wanted to work many times a lot of us and can chime in we weren't getting paid at IRP we we were there to accomplish this goal and, and I mean, the, and the United States it. thanked you for it by locking you up Dave Zapolo your I'm, history. I started my career in IT in the 80s as a software developer. From there, I moved into a software implementer and project manager, and I was doing business transformations. I was taking private and public companies and completely transforming their business to save them money, to um, streamline their processes, and make them run better. So when, we, when I started with IRP, that was one of the things. It's like, we can take this and do this same thing for law enforcement. We can streamline their processes. We can make them more efficient, and we can help them to protect the people. No criminal record? No criminal record. Never even considered I'd ever end up in prison. Clint Stewart, your background. Uh, my background, I started in the Air Force at Shine Mountain, NORAD, um, working in Space Command as a crypto systems engineer and moved into telecommunications engineering and aerospace. And during the IRP days, uh, I was doing technology consulting at Nextel for building systems uh, development. And so the ERP scheme of things uh, uh, was very much something that I was working with uh, to bring that to you know IRP. And also the consulting uh, sales model to look at 
you know, the, the time frame that you actually do sales, consultative type sales, before you actually close on a particular project. And that's 90 to 120 days that you're actually talking to a customer through technology consulting. We had a very good, uh, you know, path to be able to do what we're doing. And, and no criminal record. No criminal record, absolutely not. Never in trouble. of fact, Clint had a top secret clearance. Right. So you had a top secret clearance. Right. I was working in aerospace out at uh, Shriver Air Force Base uh, with telecommunications. So, you were, you, so before that, you said you were active duty yes. in the Air Force. Is in that the Air correct? Force, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, I mean, read the writing on the wall here. We're talking about intelligent men, high levels of intelligence, uh, making a difference in the private sector. Doing a good job, you know, doing their jobs to Dave's Apollo, building businesses, helping businesses, you know, transfer, transfer into things that were good. David Banks, a veteran in the United States Navy. I mean, come on. So all of a sudden, after all these years, they woke up and said, hey, why don't you contact the FBI, law enforcement here. Let's contact Washington and let's do one thing. Let's break the law. And keep in mind, uh, according to the government, all of these non-criminals, no criminal records, all of us, it, I don't know what it took for all of us to get together and conspire together to commit a crime. You would have think somebody would have backed out if there was a crime going on. Uh, uh, nobody here want, uh, had even th ever thought about ever being locked up or going to prison. So it's inconceivable that five guys with successful careers would come together, make less money to commit a crime. It it's insanity. It, it does not add up. Just in the two hours of this show. I tell you what, if I was a juror, guess what? Not guilty. But Mon, not guilty. At just one point to David, just to chime in on that. All the good stuff that you've listened to in the last two hours, Again, we've been talking about the dishonorable Christine Arguello. When we would try to enter evidence of the quotes and things of that nature, I, I just wanted to make the it was not a all this positive stuff. We, I don't want to hear it, and we will not let well, it. Well, into here's evidence. the difference. This is a journey. We're going to get there. We're going to get to federal judge Christine Arguello. Right now, where are we? We're in the process. We're going. We're moving good right now. But right ahead of us, and in the IRP-5, is a coming storm. And that's the storm of injustice. We're going to deal with that. What happened? You know, you kind of got a beautiful day outside. You're maybe on the river, and you're just enjoying life. This is what the path of the IRP-5 was. But as you move ahead, we will in two weeks. Next week we'll have a, an encore show until the following week. But in two weeks, the tide turns. Why did it turn? What happened? I can tell you right now, you don't want to miss. Two weeks from tonight, our next live show, you don't want to miss it. Because now the tide of this peaceful river the RP-5 are traveling becomes a, a huge storm. 
And what happens next, you will not believe. You will not believe. But we're going to tell that story. This is intriguing tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, I would implore you to tune in. You say, well, that's not going to happen to me. No guarantees. If it can happen to five businessmen with no criminal record at all. But what you're going to hear in the next few weeks to come will blow your mind. We take you on that journey with us. Ask your neighbors, your friends, whoever you're talking to, hey, you got to hear this story. Because what this is, is the poster child of injustice. We're going to deal with it. We are taking you step by step. It's going to take a little while, but we'll take you there. Until next time, America, remember, AJC Radio seeks to bring justice and to uncover injustice wherever we find it. We continue the RP5 saga in two weeks. This is AJC Radio. Good night.